Shark Brain, Episode 10. I'm your host, Jake Newton. Thank you for tuning in, logging on, clicking on the button, streaming, in your car or at work, or on the treadmill, wherever you listen to Shark Brain. I thank you. This week on the show, we've got Andy Davis, singer-songwriter, musician from out of Nashville. Caught up with him when he was out here in Los Angeles, producing a record and playing shows. I've opened for him before gotten to know him a bit and got to know him even better during this hour-long conversation that we had it was a good one before we get into that wanted to take care of a little bit of promo stuff tonight i will be opening for foy vance at the hotel cafe that is october 28th the first day this podcast episode airs and i will also be playing november 7th in north hollywood go to jakenewton.com for more info also wanted to shout out to a certain friend of mine a one john titterington who started his pledge music campaign this last week. He's got a web series that's going on concurrently with his pledge music campaign. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with pledge music campaigns or any crowdfunding source, typically they always end up with a video at the very beginning. And that starts uh, the ball rolling, gets people introduced who don't know the concept of what's going on or don't know the band or don't know the project, kind of introduces people. Well, I mean, people have kind of turned it into a narrative. I certainly had the same thing happen for myself when I did a pledge music campaign. I made it funny. I had, I had a few bits in there. Uh, but John and his production partner, Kyle Eaton, from up in Portland, knocked it out of the park. They filmed so much that they turned it into a mini-series, a uh, web series, uh, and it is absolutely hilarious. And I had that moment of trying to figure out whether or not I thought it was funny because I know John, I know Kyle, I know their senses of humor. They're very highly developed and they're... They're intelligent and they're self-effacing, my favorite kind. Uh, but at the end of the day, I had to take a stark look back and say, this is just, it's just really, really funny. They've done excellent work in the attempt to fund great work, which I've heard some of the record and it is phenomenal, produced by, yes, Justin Glasgow, but the web series in and of itself is great. I'm going to give him a call right now. I haven't done this before on this show, but I'm going to do it. Uh, we're going to talk to him on the phone about it, and he's going to clue us in on uh, where you can find this web series and the Pledge Music campaign. Here we go. Let's give him a call. It's ringing. Hello? Hey, John Titterington. Hey, buddy. Hey, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm all right. You're all right? You're all right? Well, hey, man, I'm calling you because I wanted to talk to you about the... Uh, the web series and the Pledge Music campaign that you just started this last week. Oh, nice, man. Yeah, dude. So, dude, I you, you've shared with me the actual uh, content of the web series. I've been able to see it start to finish. I think that it is on par with some of the best work uh, that I've seen in the format and the genre. And it's I think it's hilarious. It reminds me of Portlandia a lot. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, the meta postmodern uh, Larry David kind of stuff. I think it's absolutely hilarious. We'll yeah, it's uh, me and uh, me and a filmmaker named Kyle Eaton um, kind of collaborated on that. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Portlandia. You know, Kyle was on set for the first season of Portlandia. Um, and I think what we were trying to go for was uh, a little closer to like the British Office. Or there, there's this web series called Clark and Michael that Michael Sarah and Clark Duke did like back in 2007 or something. Yeah, I remember seeing some um, episodes of that. But, yeah, now that you mention it, does does smack reminiscent of that I just, uh, but yeah. I'm glad you like it man I'm pretty the response has been the response has been good 
Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a little worried it's going to be uh, better received than the actual record itself. But, uh, <laughs> you know, these are, these are the risks we take. Hey, listen, that's that's the problem when you become multifaceted, man, and you're a polymath, as they say. Uh, yeah. So, dude, uh, where can people find uh, not only the the web series but also the Pledge Music campaign? So, I'm, I'm uh, there's gonna, there's a link to it on theroofbeamcarpenters.com. Uh-huh. Um, if you go, if you go to the Pledge Music page and then look for Golden Hill, okay, um, you'll be able to find it there. But I, I would, I would direct people if they, they want to find the Pledge Music page in the video to um, visit my website, theroofbeamcarpenters.com. That will have all the per- pertinent links. Uh, by the time this this airs, I think the first two episodes are actually going to be up on YouTube. Awesome, man. And all that stuff. Uh, but uh, I guess. To answer your question, the new episodes are all going to be posted through my Pledge Music page, so that that's kind of what to keep track of um, in terms of like following the web series. And also check out I've got we've got two songs from the from the new record um, on that page as well. So right on. Which you, ones are those? There's a song called "Make Me a Stone" and a song called "San Fernando" yeah. that you can uh, stream off of the off of the Pledge Music page. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like what you're hearing, uh, please uh, think about. Uh, pre-ordering for ten bucks to get a digital Absolutely. download of the record uh, well before it's actually released. Yeah, and you've also got a bunch of other uh, prizes that uh, that are along with that that are all listed along the page, and lo- a lot of them are great stuff. Uh, you even got uh, we have house concerts in California, house concerts outside of California, um, a whole bunch of um, other things along with it. But dude, it's it's great work and. And even the two songs that you put up that I've already heard already, because that's the pleasure of being your friend, huh? um, is uh, they're phenomenal, dude. So, yeah, I'm proud of you. I think that it's a phenomenal web series. I think I've heard the little bit that I've heard of the record that's that you're finishing and in the writing process is really great. And I just want to tell you that I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you letting me plug it. Yes, sir. Look forward to that. We've got Andy Davis on the show today. We talked about what it was like being in Nashville, what it's like to write songs, the climate versus the climate in Los Angeles. Very interesting conversation with this guy. Really got to know him. Well, got to know him as best as you can know somebody with an hour conversation, but he's a damn sight better than I knew him before. He's a good egg and a great player. Let's go to his conversation right now. Shark Brain Laboratories. We've got Andy Davis. <laughs> Hi, dude. Thanks for coming in, man. Yeah. yeah. This is reach a, an air. Uh, this, Cheers. There it is. Coffee's here. Chin chin. Did you put Bailey's in this for me? I did. I did Thank that and uh, copious amounts of wood grain alcohol, like you asked. Mm, yeah, of mm. course. So, dude, you're in LA. You're <clears throat> working with uh, working with somebody in a production, actually in a producing. Bag. Yeah, I've been um, kind of expanding my hat. Um, wearing what's the way trying to wear some different hats and trying to get into like the producer i feel like i can't make eye contact right unless i got one eye um, you can do the under the under over thing if you there want there we go yeah. all right now i um you know i've always lo- i've always sort of had a hand in producing my own records but now i'm trying to um challenge myself to like produce some other people's stuff that has nothing to do with me and um and um you know like there's a different challenge when you're making your own record because you can make it as quirky and different and weird as you want. Yeah. And especially if nobody's listening. And yeah. <laughs> you um, can um, 
can do whatever you want. But when you have, when you're hired to, uh, you know, take somebody who's trying to compete with, say, Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. you have to learn a bunch of new skills or come about it, come at it in a very different way, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I'm really actually, uh, inspired by that challenge right now and trying to, um, you know, write songs that, um, Get in the 14-year-old girl headspace, actually. Yeah, because you're actually working with a 14-year-old girl yeah, yeah. at the moment. No, it's this uh, amazing artist named uh, Alexis Wilkins, and she's she's super talented, and so it's fun. We um, we have been co-writing. I've been bringing in like a third people to write with us every once in a while that are girls, just because they were at one time 14-year-old girls, and yeah. I've never actually been that. Yeah, that, um, that's, that is true. It's science fact right there. Yeah. You know, that and, uh, I don't know, it's got to be weird to be... You're not you're not so distant from it as as to say that you have no idea what's going on, but it's you get to a certain point where you realize, oh my gosh, I'm old, I'm older. Wow, I didn't really realize that we were oh, going to go there. I, I hate to be I hate to be the the grim reaper about this, but no, I there I've had those moments recently going like, <clears throat> yeah, oh, you know what? I I just there are things that that generation does that I just I have I don't immediately understand. No, that's true. I mean, I think um, I. I think one main thing that's different between like a 14 year old today and me when I was 14 is that, um, I think, I don't know when I was 14, I think that because I don't know, this is, I guess it's a music industry related thing. So we mm-hmm. can go there, but like, I think everyone was sort of uh, a lot more obedient to the, to the, uh, mainstream sort of menu, you mm-hmm. know, whatever people would were told to listen to or what was on mainstream radio, people just knew. So yeah. that's why I think a lot of people our age can go like, don't go chasing waterfalls and we know every song, every word to it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? But I don't, I wonder if in like, uh, you know, the next 10 or 15 years, that phenomenon will stop being so, um, commonplace because I feel like people have such a choose your own adventure musical experience now that they may not, unless they were in the same little, uh, you know, um, pocket of of listeners then they may not know what song you're talking about. Absolutely. man. But for her, I think the mainstream, that same, I do think there's a lot of, uh, like kids, I say kids, you know, but like teenagers are very, that are into like the Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift kind of world or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, to put like a real quick blanket on it. They also know a lot of rap and they know a lot of like sort of country and pop. So there's this kind of like wide variety. So even the country music that is meant for that crowd has to have a little bit of urban sort of t- twist to it, I think, mm-hmm. because because it's because uh, it's so related, you know, or so closely uh, listened to in the same yeah, in the same context with that sort of thing. Yeah, it's yeah. almost as if we, we all have the things that we we cherish and we hold dear and the things we listen to. And then there's these songs that just happen to be the soundtrack for things that that we, we still that everybody knows because it's just in the periphery. It's on in the mall. It's on yeah. television. And so people know that as kind of like a jumping off point. That's the Rosetta Stone for the culture in which they live. They go, right. okay, right, right now we're in a Taylor Swift singing about breakups kind of a world Mm -hmm. and i happen to like my city in color or my my emo band of the moment or my any number of things yeah i mean yeah people are are aware um of like the grammys kind of thing but i think it's less like it's almost become its own tournament it's almost like uh, you know the pga tour and the nike tour or something like that where nike tour may have not mattered for a long time but it's if the analogy would hap would like sort of translate to any golfer that's listening out there, uh-huh. um, <laughs> you it would almost be as if the Nike Tour is starting to become just as big as the PGA Tour, you yeah. know. And so you have these, uh, you just sort of pick which arena you're going to compete in and mm-hmm. try to go for it, you know. And um, 
I don't know. It's took me a while to figure that out because I think I've been more consumed with just experimenting and having fun with different like things that can happen musically instead of like really like picking a tournament and trying to conquer, you know? Yeah. But, um, but with this new stuff and especially when you're like working on someone else's material and they want you to help them get to that level, Mm -hmm. you got to sort of think about it a little bit more like, okay, we're going to try to like, um, compete with them. Yeah. Play within the rules of the game. Yeah. Not necessarily the rules, but the same arena. I totally understand that. That's, that's the very, very crippling and also empowering thing about the DIY culture that I know that you're steeped in and you've been able to make a very vibrant career over the last year, few years because you just said like, I'm just going to tear off and do my own thing. And I'm going to, I'm going to, people are going to be magnetized to me, hopefully just by being out there. And it worked in a, in, in a very real sense that yeah. you, you're able to find your people, so to speak. But that's because you just, you tore off into the creative wilderness and said like, I'm just going to like see where inspiration strikes as opposed to, I had this experience. The reason why I'm, I'm bringing it up is I was writing with the uh, pop songwriters mm-hmm. the other week and I would throw out an idea and they'd go like, that's cool. That's weird. That's all right. Well, yeah. yeah. And I'd be like, okay, yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait, we're crafting this. This is less about, you know, just throwing something against the wall and seeing it sticks and more about trying to actually fit it within the mold of something like that, which yeah, I mean, has its my, own merits. My, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I didn't necessarily decide like I'm blazing off into the wilderness or maybe I did, but I wasn't in search of like the next coast. I was really yeah. just like, like chopping trees or something, you know, <laughs> but I think, um, but there is something, um, that you have to, you know, I've written with some people that are, are, you know, pop writers that will, I'll throw out a lyric that I think is really interesting and cool. And they'll be like, uh, yeah, that's way too interesting. And I'm like, yeah. wait a second. I thought that was what we were supposed to be doing here or, you know, mm-hmm. but the point it's, I don't know. Another way to think about it is like, um, is like, I don't know, for some reason I keep coming back to restaurant and food analogies because mm. it's like you, um, if you're wanting something that everybody in the world can appreciate, you're going to have like a hamburger, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's going to be, uh, everyone's going to love just a plain old burger, you know, and um, there are some places they're going, going to serve like truffle burgers with uh, special like home fed beef and this mm. and that, and there's going to be all this sort of sophisticated um, details to the burger and nuances that the rest of the world does may not care about, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think like, I think I've gotten into making records that are a little bit more nuanced for the people that have a attention span and a palate to really mm-hmm. understand like the nuances of it, you know, and less about just mass, um, consumption and mass, um, appreciation. But I think it's not that one is, um, <clears throat> you know, is more like a lofty goal or yeah. whatever, you know, cause I think, you know, if you're a purist and I think I've made, made a lot of purist choices in my records, but it's not necessarily because I don't know. I'm having, um, I'm kind of coming to the place now where I'm thinking maybe that wasn't, it's not necessarily that this is the right way to do it. It's just that it's your choice, you know? And it's like your, um, your, um, you know, if you're kind of a nerdy and you're into making, um, whatever chips in a bottle or something like that mm-hmm. it's you can't expect the whole world to like buy your thing it's just because that's when your your little thing that's you think is cool um the only so many people are going to be as um, obsessed and passionate about this thing as you are um and if you want to try to make uh like franchise something and make it huge and make it to where everyone's in the whole world is going to appreciate it it's got to be a lot more simple a lot more condensed mm-hmm. and a lot more like universal in the language and things and um <clears throat> that it just that's just because that's what people 
on a single glance they have to get it or not you know yeah. as opposed to having not everyone has time to just um dig into your record in their headphones by themselves for two hours yeah which may be the way that people used to listen to music they would sit in front of their record players and put headphones on and just sit there with just let the music take them away with mm-hmm. all the um you know the details of the recording and the lyric and all that stuff but now it is a lot more about the uh holistic experience and how it fits into your you know, daily life or whatever. I've been listening to this record driving around LA on this trip. That's like, I stumbled across it, I think on like Spotify or something. And it was this band called the bar brothers, B A R R. Never heard of them. And, um, and for some reason, this record is like perfect soundtrack for driving around LA and sort of like this juxtaposition of crazy traffic with peaceful music or Mm -hmm. something. I don't know. I really like it. And so, but yeah, so it's less about me sitting by myself and thinking about life and more like, sitting my, by myself thinking about life while in traffic yeah. <laughs> with the music. I don't yeah. know. It's it's a lot more integrated into like a li- uh, experience, you know? Yeah. But I love that cognitive <clears throat> dissonance of being able to do that. It's, uh, it's, uh, oh, one second I get, oh. yeah. Um, Is that my mom? That's my mom. Actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a, it's very interesting when you're trying to, to ascertain where, uh, where creativity comes from or where, where creativity fits in with the form. And, but I, I find a lot of it is, is from where you grew up and where you, you originate from. There's a lot of those first underpinnings of things. So where you, you grew up in Louisiana? Yeah. The South. I mean, Louisiana, North Carolina, Virginia. Yeah. What um, part of North Carolina? Wilmington. On okay. The I got family in, uh, Wilmington got family in, uh, Charlotte. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right on the beach. It was a good place for childhood. A lot of like, um, running around in the woods and, Mm-hmm. Maybe that's where I got my uh, obsession with trees and chopping. I went to I was chopping on a tree with an axe with a friend, and uh, we in, s- chopped into a, a nest of a swarm of bees and uh-huh. ran and um, so things like that, you know. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah. <I'm> the- <laughs> um, but no, I think um, I think creativity is like um, <clears throat> actually like fueled by limitations because I think you're you're the more little it's if you give a kid like a hundred toys and say like play with something they it would be like overwhelming but yeah. then you give a kid like one piece of two pieces of wood and say do something with this then all of a sudden they're like well this piece of wood is a man and this piece of wood is a dog and mm-hmm. then he's chasing after the dog or something like all of a sudden the limitations of the choices have will spark your creativity more than limit them you know mm-hmm. i think um and i think honestly that's why you know i heard a guy a musician that i really respect say this thing where he's like back in the 60s and 70s music um was um, there were so, uh, so few options when it came to the recording process and you had this, you know, f- maybe four track recording and, and, uh, analog tape. So, so editing was really difficult and, yeah. um, and instruments were pretty limited and pretty basic in terms of like acoustic or organs and, you know, there's mm-hmm. becoming electronic uh, instruments, but it's more like a Fender Rhodes as opposed to like. Yeah, you know, laptop stuff, and so, but for some reason, with with that many limitations on what music could be, the albums of the '60s and '70s were vastly different from each other. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, where the um, options and recording and instruments are virtual, virtually limitless, and mm-hmm. what you can do, albums all seem to sound the same. Strange, isn't it's like it? Like a reverse thing that's happened, you know. Yeah. And I think that um, I think it has something to do with uh, with limitations. Not enough limitations really forcing you to be creative. Yeah. I think it's like there's so many presets and things that make it where everyone can make music that sounds pretty professional and done really quickly uh-huh. that they um, 
kind of get lazy and we're like, well, we don't need to do anything special to that. You know, yeah. and it's like, it's already done. So why waste your time? Like figuring out a kick drum sound or trying to learn how to play the drums mm-hmm. when you can just hit this button and there's a drummer automatically playing. Yeah. You know? And doesn't it feel like this is the paralysis of choice? Just that there's, there's, it's almost <laughs> as if I've used this allegory before, but it's as if you went, if you were on a motorcycle trip traveling through France and you stopped by this little chateau and they said, we have one thing on the menu, and it's, uh, you know, herbs de Provence with blah, blah, blah. And you said, like, oh, well, I guess I'll have that. Right. And you had that, and it was the most amazing thing that you've ever had in your life. But it was not something that you would immediately choose. It was something that was outside the realm of your comfort zone. Yeah. And you were forced into it versus if so you went to a bachelor party, and we all went to Vegas, and it's this huge, enormous buffet style of anything that you could ever want. Mm-hmm. The primo of the prime and you look around and it's just not nearly as enjoyable or sparking interest or creativity or anything and half the time you're just sitting there in the middle of the melee with your plate going i have no idea where to proceed right right and that seems like especially in in not only the diy culture of creativity Mm -hmm. uh where you're leaning upon yourself and your own entrepreneurial skills and your own stick-to-itive you know kick your own ass Mm -hmm. you're also leaning on what's pulling towards you or what's inspiration the din and the clatter of everything can just seem a little overwhelming almost the same thing that happens to autistic kids you know <laughs> it's just too much sensory in- input yeah i mean i think um well i think people need filters they need somebody they don't want to be the one to have to like to learn everything about a, a subject in order to figure out what the best is you know mm-hmm. they don't have time like you have to pick certain things in your life to spend your time discovering and getting to become an expert at, you know? Yeah. And so you just hope that there's people that have become experts in that field. So you can say, Hey expert, what do you think I should do? Yeah. Cause, um, I don't have time to like spend 10 years doing it like you have, like, mm-hmm. tell me what the deal is. And it's like in Nashville, there's this amazing restaurant called the Catbird seat. That's like a, you know, several month waiting list. And there's only like, I think 10 or 12 seats in it, you know? Hmm. And it's about, I want to say like two or $300 a person and you don't get to choose anything on the menu. And they have like 10 courses and they come out with these little things and, um, you know, like one of my friends went there and said that the main course for the night was pigeon huh. and, uh, you know, and she was said it was like the best things she'd ever had in her life. <laughs> but I'm wondering if it's like local pigeon, you know, <laughs> but New York's finest. <laughs> yeah, well, this is Nashville's finest, which is even, yeah. uh, you know, I guess they'd be a little more, uh, yeah. um, discerning. Yeah. A little better, better fed. Yeah. I but that, um, but the thing is like, you trust this person to kind of curate your experience, you mm-hmm. know? And so, uh, and you, and people are willing to pay this much money because they know that this person and one of these chefs is so, um, just is such a, uh, expert at what they're doing that they're trust them to sort of curate their experience, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think people in general, I mean, that's, I guess that in one sense, that is a, an example of like how many people in the world are, um, really interested in that level of dining or spending mm-hmm. $300 on a meal. Yeah. And, um, and the number of people that is interested in that is going to be really small. Yeah. But then you, but then they're also willing to pay that much money. So you can still make a career mm-hmm. if you're that specialized, you know? Absolutely. But, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think like in this, the main, I think right now in music, as everything becomes so available and there's so many choices and you're not really sure where to start, people still need, I think it's just a, an arena for new, new filters to come up, you know, mm-hmm. new person to say like, um, Hey, everybody that's in the, um, you know, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to make up a, a genre, but like, you know, um, everyone who's in the, um, minimalist folk rock. Yeah, there you go. Minimalist folk rock world. This is the new website 
to find all the cool minimalist folk rock bands. Yeah. And then all of a sudden people are like, thank you. We've been like wasting our time with yeah. all this like lost in the woods. And now you've sort of rung our little bell and we're mm-hmm. following you, you know? And, um, yeah, I mean like, um, I don't know, going back to me being old or feeling old is <laughs> like when I first started making music, um, when I was in, I was a student at Belmont. I mean, I, I've been making music a little bit, um, from starting when I was in high school, but thankfully those recordings are sort yeah. of lost in time. Lost. <laughs> I, I'm the same. But, um, but when I got to Belmont in Nashville, I started kind of becoming more of like a songwriter and sort of learning the craft, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then about right when I was graduating or a little after I graduated was when all the Napster stuff happened. And so it was mm-hmm. like, um, all of a sudden your whole, uh, understanding of like <clears throat> how people are getting music and John Mayer was happening at the same moment yeah. everyone was sharing. And then all colleges started to have their own John Mayers all of a sudden. And yeah. maybe, you know, I became maybe, I don't know, this may be a bold claim, but I kind of feel like I became Belmont's John Mayer for a second, you mm-hmm. know? And then I was playing a lot of colleges and touring around with these, with these guys. And it was like a moment for that kind of thing. And somehow it was mainstream and underground at the same time. Yeah. And, um, but then now, the underground thing has become so much more seg- segmented, you know, mm-hmm. that um, new filters are having to sort of emerge to help you find your place or help, you know, uh, find that. Yeah, and I think, yeah, the choose your own adventure thing is definitely yeah. <clears throat> both helps and hinders a lot of things because you can really, you can lead your entire life factioned off and and, and quartered and sectioned out to something and, and be completely blind mm-hmm. to wide swaths of culture. And yeah. I, I remember that exactly what you were saying before is that in the 60s and 70s and hell, even in the 80s with, with us as kids, mm-hmm. we would just, you know, whatever whatever came through the radio, we'd listen to that and we'd go, well, that's, I like that. Yeah. I want more of that. Um, um, Unless your parents didn't let you listen to radio. Like exactly. Are you, did you grow up in the, uh, yeah? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah? I was either... Uh, Actually, that's why I know most any hit from the 60s and 70s, because my parents were like, you have two choices. You can listen to Christian music, or you can listen to oldies radio. Yeah. And, um, and you know, there were some Christian bands I was into. and, and Let's name some of those, because uh, I, know, I, I know I know them <laughs> as well. Um, well, you know, I mean, I, we, my first little high school band, we were covering DC Talk, Jars of Clay, all naturally, that stuff, you naturally. know. Naturally. A little audio sure, adrenaline first, thrown in, course, little Newsboys. Yeah. Little. I think my first song I ever ri- wrote was actually a ripoff of a Newsboys song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, but, you know, actually there's some interesting full circle moments that have happened this past year. I went, I was, uh, you know, I was a kid going to DC Talk concerts or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and this interesting thing, this is a very kind of side note rabbit hole here, mm-hmm. rabbit trail, but... The, um, you know, I guess something's happening right now where like the guy from DC Talk is now the lead singer of Audio Adrenaline, and then the yeah. other guy, yeah, Kevin uh, Max is uh is leading in. Right, Audio I'm saying like I don't know their names, of course. <laughs> 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 um, but then you know Michael Tate is with the Newsboys, and then mm-hmm. you know all these things are happening, and um, <clears throat> and then I ended up getting to go right with Kevin Max for the new Audio Adrenaline record, mm-hmm. and I'm like, if the 15 year old version of me could could see where I'm at right yeah. now, he'd probably be freaking out, or I don't know what would happen, but. My head would explode, but, but it was just one of those things. It's definitely a place where you start and you understand. And then as you, you know, I had kind of like a second awakening of music when I got to college mm. of all the stuff I'd been missing out on. And also like the album tracks for all the hit people that I knew from this, from the old days, you know, yeah, and kind of getting deeper into the catalogs and stuff like that. And then you start realizing maybe where some of the stuff 
in the say Christian world was was derivative of yeah, and you're like, oh, I see what they were going for there, and I never knew it when I was sort of this. Uh, yeah, you didn't you know, have any context for right. it. That's the interesting thing about our parents and what they did. They saw that uh, while there was this wild creativity in the 60s and 70s, and they kind of at least my parents, I, I don't really know where your parents came from, but they came out of that whole like the Jesus freak in the 70s sure, thing, yeah. you know, the the hippies who love Jesus, mm-hmm. and then um, and then they went like, well, you know what, the world is a pretty scary place, and I want to do the very best for my kids, right. so I'm just going to give him this Christian music mm-hmm. or with me, my dad it was the Christian music or it was I could go into his LP collection from the 70s and the right. 60s which was a lot of uh, Cat Stevens a lot of uh, Dan Fogelberg a lot of that FM totally. radio smooth folky kind of a thing yeah. I had those two things I could uh, Amy Grant <coughs> or Gordon yeah. Lightfoot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was a big uh, Queen fan and Chicago and stuff a lot. he was uh, also like a high tenor singer and so like mm-hmm. he I think anything that you could sing along to in a high tenor voice mm-hmm. was basically and a lot of harmonies and stuff you know I think my uh, I definitely got a lot of my um, sense of rhythm I think from like my dad's steering wheel drumming <laughs> and high harmony singing in the car you know but um, but yeah you know I think um, I don't know that's the other thing about um, <clears throat> I don't know to tie it back in with the whole thing about needing someone else to kind of curate your experience you know because we are like geeks about music, we will spend the three months diving into Randy Newman's catalog uh-huh. as opposed to like somebody else that just was like Randy Newman, the guy from Toy Story, you know? Yeah. And I think like, so, and I think a, a lot of the people that are trying to make music these days, because it's so easy to make something that sounds done and sounds professional so easily without much skill, they <clears throat> are maybe a little too lazy or just don't see the purpose in going backwards to learn any of these other things. It's almost like becoming a writer and never having read Faulkner or something. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to be a writer, but you've never read any of the classics, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I just, there is this sort of like burden for me as a musician that feels like if you're going to call yourself a musician, you should be serious about it and like go learn where it comes from, you yeah. know, as opposed to just like say, well, I'm, I'm a, you know, new musician and I don't, and I'm, I know how to use computers and technology mm-hmm. to make this music sound massive but well you have to get the context that's if you listen to or look at any of the interviews that have, were done of the 60s guys they they said like well i really i really like little richard what is going on here i have to know more right. about him and then eventually they all go back to you know lead belly or sure, yeah. or johnson any of any of the old blues guys yeah and and they they find the source of it and then they become obsessed with it and then they they try to figure out their own interpretation of that original source. Yeah. So, so it's it's going back. You're right. It needs to go back to the source of those sort of things. Yeah, and I think a lot of the new stuff today, to me, seems like a um, response to what happened like five minutes ago, more mm-hmm. than like a, a reinterpretation of the source. Source. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. I mean, and I would much rather be a cop, uh, one degree, or you know, a single copy away. You know, like when you used to overdub tapes. Mm-hmm. And, and that with hiss every, would grow and grow Yeah, and grow. like with every generation of, of copy, it would just get worse and worse. So I would rather be like a copy of the original. Mm. And then it'll probably sound a lot more like crazy and original to all the people today, you know, that maybe don't have the time to go back and find that source and you've yeah. become a copy of that source. But <clears throat> but then it still comes down to finding somebody to help get your music out uh, and put it on the menu so they can find it, you know. Yeah. Because uh, even if it is like super brilliant and it may catch a chord and everyone that hears it is like, this is the best pigeon I've ever eaten. Yeah. Um, well, it still needs some sort of marketing in order to get to the rest of the people that are uh, 
you know, if a tree falls in the woods right. and uh, it's got a bunch of Picassos taped up to it, yeah. does anybody see it or care? That's the hard thing. That's the hard thing. You yeah. you said you had the second uh, awakening in college. I went to a very similar thing because I was so I, – I grew up in the woods. These are pictures over here. For those of you who are not seeing it because you're all listening, it's all Yosemite. I grew up 20 minutes outside that park. You those, know? Are, those are uh, pencil drawings. Are, well, I drew them myself <laughs> in the back of a truck oh, I see. That on a bumpy like road. a tree. It kind of a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a little bit of tic-tac-toe in the corner. That looked like kid drawings. You yeah, really did those? That, well, I really did. Well, I did them <laughs> yesterday. It was a little shaky. It took too much Advil. <laughs> um, but, but I uh, – but but with that lack of, of in, <laughs> sorry, I'm less joke. No, like, no, with that lack of stimulus, and then and with that lack of being allowed to engage with the current culture, right. as far as secular, which was sure, such a hot yeah, button yeah. thing. When I got to college, and even though I went to a Christian college, it was still I had a bunch of you know friends who said, "Here, listen to this. This is No Knife. This is um, Early Elliot Smith. This mm-hmm. is you know any number of these things. This is you know underground hip hop yeah. that you have no idea about." And and going through all that and getting the influx and almost it, it was strange because I I was I had more of an adult brain mm-hmm. to attack it, and so when I first received it, I was. It was, I took it less for granted. I just soaked it up yeah. and wanted it and needed it badly. Um, when you hit that and then you started playing out um, with all this new filtering through you mm-hmm. and almost almost at the same time that Mayer was doing doing their thing, did you have a moment of of thinking that at all that you were going to to do anything other than music or did the, did you were you just completely sold on doing this? And did you – I guess the, the question I really want to ask is did you ever have a moment between college and life where you – were doing crap jobs or had to do the hard thing and not making money to make oh, music. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I was valet parker all through college and even after college. Like even when I started touring, I was valet parking hmm. um, until I got fired over a voicemail for missing a uh, staff meeting because I was on the road. Uh-huh. And it was just like I kind of was like, "Oh man, I just got fired!" And then I'm like, "Yes, <laughs> just got fired!" And then that was the last time I had to work valet parking, you know. But mm-hmm. um, it wasn't quite that easy, but it was, you know, for me, I, um, yeah, I mean, I actually was very fortunate when I first started because there are a couple of dudes in Nashville, Matt Wirtz and Dave Barnes, who have, mm-hmm. who are, um, a few years ahead of me in the process of building a, a do it yourself career, you know, or like an underground career, you know, and they had already built a fan base, you know, enough of a fan base where they could tour in, in a lot of cities and have a hundred, 200, 300 people show up, you know, mm-hmm. and it was about that that point in their careers that, that I became friends with them. And then they heard some songs I've been writing and they were like, Hey, come open for us on the road. And, you know, on the first big tour I did, I was playing bass in Matt Wirtz's band and opening the shows, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like a very cheap opener yeah. willing, you know, willing to play for cheap and pl- open for free basically, you know? Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> but it was a huge opportunity for me because I had, well, I'd had some recordings, and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do as an artist, honestly, at that point. I was just, like, writing a bunch of songs, kind of more out of a sense of, like, experimenting with different styles. You know, I was doing, like, uh, I was I had gotten into this uh, Harry Connick Jr. kind of phase, and I yeah. was writing these jazzier kind of um, progressions and songs that are a little bit almost crooner kind of stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and it kind of s- caught a chord that way, too, because uh, that was, like, the year that Nora Jones had all this all the big success at the Grammys, mm-hmm. like, won five Grammys or whatever. And so suddenly people were a little bit aware of jazzy music, even if it was, like, very, like, jazz with air quotes around it, <laughs> because it's very s- pop music with, like, slight jazz chords to it, you know. Yeah. And um, so that was kind of this thing that I happened to be on messing around with at the time, 
And then I had a few of these songs recorded, like super just acoustic vocal or really raw. Or I just bought this little home Pro Tools rig and I started kind of trying to make recordings myself. And um, <clears throat> and when Matt and Dave asked me to open for them, I was like, well, I need to, I guess, burn some CDs to sell. And um, I think when I... I'd been playing around enough and people had been asking for CDs enough to where I knew I was going to sell a few at this show. And the first show that I played in Nashville, which was at Dave uh, Barnes's, uh, it was actually his CD release party. Mm-hmm. It was also my secret CD release party. <laughs> <laughs> and I had literally uh, made 60, um, 60 hand, handwritten, I mean, uh, 60 burn CDs um, with handwritten lyric, I mean, handwritten titles on the back. Mm-hmm. And I had this little, uh, I went, actually I had an internship at a publishing company in Nashville at that point, And I asked them if I could, they were about to throw away a bunch of KCD, old CDs that were uh-huh. like demo things. And I was like, can I have all these? And I took all the packaging out of those CDs, went to like a, you know, some sort of paper store mm-hmm. and then made these little album covers and stuffed them in the plastic of these old CDs. And then, um, I put this little ring around the uh, core label of the yeah. CD and then initialed and numbered each one. And then that night I sold them at the show and I sold all 60 of them at the show. Oh man. And it was the first p- point where I was like, whoa, I think huh. I could make money doing music. Because <laughs> I was like, I just made whatever, $600, and I had, that took me a week in valet parking to make $600. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, well, I just I got to go home and burn some more CDs. Yeah. Dude, that's some time, man. <clears throat> Those, yeah. That, that, yeah, in the trays over and yeah, over. Yeah, no, and I, over. I, I, I'm handmade, I think, about 800 Good night. And then, um, and then finally sort of repackaged it and re- um, kind of got this mixing guy in Nashville to help touch up on some mixes and then master it, you know, and so, mm-hmm. and then I got, um, and then uh, this guy named Jeremy Coward, photographer in Nashville, mm-hmm. that um, it was like right when he was getting into, getting into photography and he, we went out and did this photo shoot because he just got this new camera and that became the album artwork for mm-hmm. it, you know, so it was very much like, hey, what are you doing? This is all, it was very organic and just like a, a nice, um, you serendipitous. Know, yeah, thing, yeah, like all these events seemed to line up in a really sort of, uh, way that was meant to be you know awesome and um yeah i mean it's it's uh it was a great way to start without having to um <clears throat> i don't know put up a 100 youtube videos a day kind of yeah thing, you know what i mean because like today it's really hard to get attraction i think um unless you have somebody that finds you and puts you out on a guaranteed opening spot you know it's yeah. just you can try to start playing down the street at your place and every week hopefully more people come or you can start doing covers on youtube and hopefully that brings um, traffic, traffic and then yeah. you you start doing your original stuff but mm. it's just it's it's a lot more crowded now it's a lot harder to find like a break like that you know yeah but yeah they say that the the great thing about uh, the diy culture is that you can do it all yourself and the bad thing about it is that you have to do it all yourself yeah 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 i mean some um <clears throat> i think some people uh you know I've, I've had a couple of i've gone in and out of certain like teams i guess like management mm. teams and things like that and um i think some people a s- seem it seems to them that I'm like a, maybe a control freak when it comes to like my stuff that I'm my my career and my every detail and I don't think I am I think the real thing is that I've just done it b- had to do it by myself so long mm-hmm. that when somebody's like um uh you know I got to figure out how to put this uh f- ad together and I'm like well I know a little Photoshop enough to sort of get me in trouble uh-huh. or, yeah. you know, and then it's like, um, and I made like make comments that seem like a detail, like a really, uh, when I should be acting like an idiot and saying that's beautiful, yeah. I would be like, is there any way you can sort of like that, that second layer, rasterize that font yeah, a little bit a more, a little, little, the opacity or something <laughs> yeah. like, they're like, excuse me, get away, get away right yeah. now, you know, or whatever. But it's like, um, you know, 
I think uh, you just get in the habit of doing everything yourself because right. you're the, you're the person that's going to work the hardest for your career. Yeah. Regardless, you know, even yeah. I mean, even if you give somebody a manager percentage of your income or whatever, you ultimately have to want it more than anybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, and you're leading the charge. Is that you're you're creating the inspiration right. that makes them want to work as hard as they want to work. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's good to have a third party in the mix to help sort of give you some perspective on yourself sometimes. That's another thing I'm learning is because you can, uh, if you're a person like me that just likes to sort of like experiment in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. sometimes an outside perspective can say like, hey, uh, if you just, you know, focused on these things a little bit more and like l- let this be uh, like do 10 more like this, I think we could really sell that as opposed to like do one over here and one over here, you mm-hmm. know, it's like. It's like I want to start a restaurant, and I love making burgers, but I also love making sushi. But we should also have spaghetti mm-hmm. on the menu. You got half, and, or like fifty half projects. Yeah, or, yeah. Or, and it's like you can come to a restaurant, and there's so many choices. You're like, what kind of restaurant is this? Yeah. You know, it's is this cheesecake, the cheesecake factory. factory. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> what I was gonna say. Yeah, that, that's you know what the, in 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 the uh, the cheesecake factory is actually the lowest common denominator for everything. Whenever you're traveling with your family, just go to the cheesecake factory. Avoid the half hour conversation because you're gonna get nowhere, yeah. and eventually you're all just gonna order the barbecue chicken salad. And yeah. some, I mean, I guess they had this huge identity crisis, and they were like, "Just forget it. Let's just make it about the dessert." Yeah. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> let's put out a phone book of food, yeah. and then have a bunch of dessert at the end of it. Yeah. What I wanted to ask you about the creative process and how you were your self starting and that whole that whole mindset that you have to have about it. How do you how do you inspire yourself and force yourself for the two months down the line? Because uh, for those of you who may not know. Um, to be a DIY artist, you have to be thinking about this very moment and three months from now at the same exact time, many times. Sure, yeah. I mean, um, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that's why I think in a, in a few different uh, instances I've sort of maybe dropped the ball or like there's like a last-minute panic yeah. because I'm like, oh, I, I'm supposed to be on tour and like, <laughs> I should be on tour next week. <laughs> Um, and so I think I have to like try to throw together these last minute things and, uh-huh. you know, you may be friends with a guy at a club and you're like, Hey, I know this is really last minute, but yeah. is there any way I can do a show yeah. two weeks from now? Or, yeah. and then, then because you do it that short of notice, there's no promotion and then mm-hmm. people don't hear about it. And then, you know, that's why you need people and managers and booking agents to sort of like be like, put you on a little bit of a timeline to say, mm-hmm. we need this now so that we can put it out six months from now kind yeah. of thing or a year and a half from now, you know, if you're really going to try to make a big push. But yeah, I don't know. I think I try, you know, <clears throat> at the moment I'm, I have a lot of new energy and inspiration to do a lot of different kinds of things. And like, you know, um, to take my desire to like do sushi and pizza and burgers mm-hmm. and then to, start four different restaurants where they can each be their own thing, just yeah. a sushi place, just a burger place. And so right now I've kind of taken a little bit of a, a, a slight hiatus from touring so that I can uh, build up the content for these, set all these projects, you mm-hmm. know, and that's the only way I know how to do it now is to like get a finished product. And then once it's ready, um, figure out how to lay out a plan for it, you know, yeah. as opposed to like having the plan, like, I think as a as an independent artist and as an independent touring artist that that's the way you make money, you have to assume that well this for three months in the fall and three months in the spring I'm going to be on the road. Yeah. Like and I just have to do it every year just because that's how I make a living. And then uh, for me, I don't really write songs when I'm on the road that much. It's just such a survival. Mm-hmm. Um, I need food. Process. I need to get, get sleep. Check, yeah. Get to the next sound city. Get to sound check. That I don't have time or energy or my head is just in a completely different space. And when you're touring all the time, then you don't 
write songs, you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden a new record, a new tour is coming up and you got to have a record together for it. Yeah. And it's like, all right, I have two weeks to write a record and record it and then get it together so that we can start promoting it for the fall tour. Mm-hmm. And it's not good for creativity, I don't think. I mean, I like pressure mm-hmm. and everything, but it's still, you know, like... Um, There's a manicness that burns through your spirit and kind of like breaks. Yeah, you. and also if I'm like a, I, I see myself as more of like an, a writer that is going to write, mm-hmm. um, and you know it's a little bit of like a. There's, I want to be the kind of writer that wakes up every day and writes a song every day. Yeah, you know, and that's sort of my goal and my my my. I would love to get into that routine, but when I'm when you're traveling, it's really hard. But I just feel like happier as a person when I'm writing, and I think when I'm putting out content and creating mm-hmm. content. And I think it's taken me a while to realize that and that I need to sort of like balance my um, touring into some really um, effective chunks yeah. as opposed to just constantly be ready, looking for a gig, gig, gig. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, you start when you build a business based on like little factors just kind of coming together, you don't necessarily have like the best business plan in, yeah. in place. It's just like, well... Uh, got to take this gig, got to do this. Yeah, today. there's no master plan. It's kind of just come as it goes. Yeah, it's just take business as it can. And you're like, well, I said I was going to charge this for this, but I'm going to charge this. I, who knows? Who cares? <laughs> you know? And um, but I think um, yeah, I think I'm like at a place now where I'm trying to like balance my time a little bit more and create a lot of more of a space to be creative on a daily basis, mm-hmm. so that I can. Um, and that way, there's a lot more time to um, to get through. Um, you know, say if I've had this little bit of identity identity crisis of wanting to do like 10 different kinds of songs on the same record, it's also because I only had time to write those 10 songs in that yeah. period of time. And so this is really all I had to choose from. You're you know? not calling from a large swath of things. You're actually just trying to get to number 10, right. which is a very strange thing to do. <clears throat> yeah. And I would much rather, I've realized I'd much rather want to, I really want to be the artist who has a hundred songs to choose from and puts them in little families and little yeah. tribes that fit together well. Um, you know, not necessarily because I'm like a slave to the album concept or anything, but mm-hmm. just I want the songs to feel cohesive and feel like they're from the same family and sort of fit together on the menu in a cohesive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's taken me a little bit of like uh, figuring out how to tour less in order to stay home and put out a lot more content and then figure mm-hmm. out what to do with it. And we'll put it out, you know, I think a lot of people on the road are in people that I would normally be touring to right now, for example, have been like emailing and tweeting saying like, when are you come back to Boston or when are you come back to uh, Dallas or whatever. But, um, and I'm like, I want to, I want to, but I need to have this time to sort of prepare the new content until it's like a complete finished idea. Yeah. Um, and instead of like panicking and always just needing to go do slightly under promoted shows in order yeah. to pay bills. You know? Yeah. It's, it's kind of the concept of a stitch in time saves nine sort of a thing. If you stay here, if you, if you make them wait another month, another two months, another half, half a year, mm-hmm. when you come back, is you going to do something that's going to be something you'd never be able to do before? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really strange, especially with like what you were talking about, feeling fulfilled, making content. I was just having a conversation with my wife. I said, you know, I need a routine. I mean, there's, I forget who had the quote, but it was someone is saying uh, something akin to um, make your life very banal and very routine in order for your work to be wild and creative. Hmm. Almost giving yourself a certain structure because we're kind of the dark and the light within all of us. Yeah. There's that, there's that need for safety um, that, uh, that you have. And, and if, if it's really strong within you, if you have like maybe like me, a nervous personality that isn't necessarily um, able to roll with the punches unless mm-hmm. I know what's going on, please, for the love of God, right, let's right. find out where we're going to go. Um, if if I don't have that, then I can't really 
expound and you know explore the deeper parts of myself or self-reflection i go into that fight or flight mode and yeah you're right on the uh, for many times on the road or even just going like okay i need to make money this song needs to be sad enough for Grey's anatomy happy enough for Mm -hmm. commercials and then you just pen yourself into the point where you know i tell you what if you're if you're trying to make something that everybody likes you'll make something that no everyone kind of thinks is okay yeah yeah i mean i think um I think that I think people need that sense of routine to have like um it takes so much energy like that survival energy you know mm-hmm. where where am I going to get lunch from or where am I going to get these things yeah. from or whatever that you can um I don't know I've heard some quotes such as like uh you know uh, amateurs wait for inspiration to strike professionals just show up and get to work uh-huh. and um or in another sense like I was watching this TED talk from the from the lady that wrote that book eat pray love or whatever oh yeah elizabeth and, gilbert yeah and she um she was saying that you know she's in the place now where this first book that she's written or maybe it's not her first but like her first basically her first book that she's Hit, written yeah. has had like incredible success and she's up against the reality that everything that she's going to do after this is probably going to seem like a failure uh-huh. and how to like not uh crum- crumble and, and collapse within that depression or something like that you know and um how it was this really interesting thing about how um in the old days, in like Roman times and Greek times, um, the the creators and the um, the poets and stuff were said to have a demon or like have a spirit that was basically like walking around following them that would sort of be their muse and things like you know almost mm-hmm. like in Harry Potter or whatever his little guy you little know? Dobby the house yeah, elf. yeah yeah and um, and then at some point in like the Renaissance or something people started uh, becoming a lot more self. Um, you know, saying it's all about yourself and the power of the self mm-hmm. and stuff. And then uh, the artists and the poets started becoming really depressed because it, when they couldn't put out music and they couldn't find anything to say, they blamed it on themselves and not mm-hmm. on their little spirit. Yeah. And then, um, you know, she was kind of making the claim to say, you know what, maybe it's better to um, go back to a place of looking at our creative muses as an external force yeah. as opposed to something that's in us that's failing mm-hmm. and more as a... I'm going to show up to work today and hopefully little guy, whatever you want to call him, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> is going to like, uh, communicate with me and give me something that's, you know, uh, divine or something that's a little bit just from a different place to mm-hmm. help take what I'm going to do on a very, uh, routine way and then add something special to it and something, um, you know, mysterious and, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, uh, yeah, and, you know, so, yeah, I think that there's part of me that's uh, has also wanted to get into a routine of writing, re- and regardless of, of that. You know, the other thing I think that happens when you are limited in your time to write is that you've had so much life experience that maybe you want to write about, and you try to squeeze it all into a couple songs. Yeah. And then it be- you're, you try to take something so serious and make it into, like, a little three-minute thing yeah. that it almost, like, doesn't translate, you know? And I think a lot of times songs... Uh, are meant to be a lot more casual, daily, like, I found a shoe on the floor, I found a shoe on the floor, I found a shoe on the floor, I'm going to wear it, you know, and so it's like, I think like, uh, that's more, sometimes songs, that's all they're meant to be, yeah. and then, not you know, you can't, I think some of these songs try to like, like, oh, this is the world summed up in, mm-hmm. in a couple of verses. Let me give you, you my know? ethos in three and a half minutes. Yeah. That's absolutely true. There's certain, like, some of my favorite songs, um, one comes to mind immediately, The Blood Bank by Bon Iver. It's about going and giving blood, meeting the girl. She's cute. Making out. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Yeah, mm. I, I had a breakup and 
one time and then came to LA and all I had in the car was Bon Iver, that first record. Oh, no. and, uh, and I listened to it on nonstop. I mean, just repeat for like the two weeks I was there. And then by the end of it, I just was like, I can't ever listen to him again because <laughs> every time I hear his voice, I'm like crying yeah. because of that relationship. Damn her. But, <laughs> but yeah, but you know, yeah. Well, that brings up another thing about the whole, like some of that stuff is written in a way that's sort of so, um, so, I'm not sure what the right term to use, but I guess so general or so mm-hmm. like mysterious, but you're not sure how it all fits together. And then your story somehow oozes into it yeah. in a way that it makes that even if it is about going to the blood bank and meeting a girl and making out, for some mm-hmm. reason I'm thinking like, I can't believe, um, I'm, you know, you're thinking about when your loved one passed away or mm-hmm. I don't know, you know what I mean? You're just like you, a whole different story fits into it somehow, yeah. you know, and that's a different kind of writing but yeah and that's an art within and of itself you know yeah, yeah being being uh vague enough so that people can kind of sort of throw in their own emotions based yeah. on you know the sonic that's a different that's an actually kind of a new or a different um skill i'm trying to kind of hone right now i think yeah. for me because coming from nashville nashville is a place where lyric writing is taken so seriously and pretty mm-hmm. literal lyric writing is taken really seriously and that's like a it is really like an intense um craft and ability to write something that is specifically talking about one thing and you want everybody that hears it to know you're talking about that one thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so this, this, but also be something that is, uh, sort of laced with these emotional, um, moments that happen in the lyric, you know, and like yeah. things that like give you, make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, you know, but it's, but exactly specific, like not leaving it open to interpretation, you know, mm-hmm. um, is a very, I would say like Nashville way of writing that, has definitely influenced me just from being in that town, you know, yeah. I've kind of, I like to say I've been some six one five a good bit, you know, <laughs> but, but being out here and writing in LA and different things, uh, it's a, you have to switch gears sometimes because, um, I think a lot of songwriting here is a lot meant to be more, um, holistic in its effect as yeah. opposed to, um, just about the lyric and the melody. It's more about like the, the, uh, some sort of like, effect of it all you know the mm-hmm. whole thing but well yeah that's interesting about uh, that nashville would have that just in general songwriting i know in country uh there is this uh there's this mechanism that's in a lot of country songs where it's like there's that chorus that uh that hits specific points and the first verse leads up to it and means one thing mm-hmm. and then it gets flipped on its head in the third yeah. you know and and so yeah. then, and then that's the tearjerker thing. Like they, if you get there before I do, that whole vibe. Yeah. But it's very the specific. Third one always has somebody dying. Someone's always dying, yeah, man. Yeah. It's 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 very hazardous to be in country songs because the yeah. mortality rate is nearly a hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I think that that even in within country, that style is a little bit sort of old school now, mm-hmm. and um, the new style is just list everything that rednecks do and then let's cheer. <laughs> you know, um, but, but uh, even uh, that's not a blanket statement because there are some. Country country artists that are doing things that are more like honest about life and less mm-hmm. about like um bro country culture you know mm-hmm. but i think uh um but as far as songwriters go like there's a there's a specificity that you guys yeah have. i mean it, you have to um i think there's a lot less room in the country um format for vague writing you mm-hmm. know what i mean um it just doesn't make as much sense there you know and yeah. it's mainly because people that are listening are not like um it's people that are maybe more middle America, like families and, and, um, honestly, a lot of like, um, soccer moms and things yeah. like that. There's that not are, a lot of room for abstraction. They want a Thomas Kincaid painting with some nice soft light and some beautiful flowers. <laughs> if they had to look at a Picasso or if they had to look at a Kandinsky, it would be a little too much. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I mean, it's about, yeah, it's about they're, they're, they want something that's going to put tug on the heartstrings most of the time or mm-hmm. make, or, 
Um, Get him amped to go pick up the kids at soccer practice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's sad to boil it down to that, but I think that there, there is a need sometimes if it's like, um, I don't know. It's it's more sad to me that to be a, to think of imagine myself as a songwriter in a room on Music Row trying to write that song every day. Yeah. That's what's sad to me about it. Not the, the fact that it because some songs are well written and maybe they were inspired from a place that was not contrived and that's mm-hmm. cool. But for me to be so I don't know. Then again, I like to play the game of the limitations thing. Like mm-hmm. okay, if somebody locked me in a room and said you have to write that song today, mm-hmm. instead of crying, I would actually have like a grin on my face. Like see how could I do this yeah. in a cool way? I think I'm inspired by the challenge and the limitations of it. But if you had to do that every day, yeah. and you're just like I wrote this song yesterday, yeah. I can't do it again today, then yeah. that would be pretty depressing. But, well, it reminds me of a David Foster Wallace speech that he gave to uh, I think. Uh, um, Kenyon College or something like that. I can't remember the actual specific name of the college. But he, he was basically talking about how you will never have any idea, you haven't had any idea yet, of what mind-crushing routine is of getting up in the morning and getting ready for work, drinking coffee, going to work, driving slowly back from work, but realizing you don't have any food at home, so you have to stop by the grocery store. And of course, that place is crowded because there's other people who don't have any time to go stop at the grocery store unless it's this time. Mm-hmm. And you're wandering around there and there's no cashiers because the entire place is just slammed. And that bone-crushing routine that can they can break you down. I think that is that you know the idea of the music row thing. of like, guess what? You have to limit yourself to writing that specific way every day yeah. to make your mortgage because your kids need braces because of you know yeah, well, because the odyssey needs new shocks <laughs> yeah i mean yeah i don't know there's a middle ground because or this it's a it's like you know when somebody was saying like if you work at taco bell when you get home you don't have to think about tacos <laughs> and yeah. if you're a songwriter you're or if you're an entrepreneur in general mm-hmm. you're always thinking about your thing no matter what it is you yeah know? and there's a freedom of going to work at a job that you don't really care about because you get paid and you go home and you don't have to think about mm-hmm. it anymore and i never i just think i realized early on that kind of lifestyle wasn't for me and i just couldn't like i had to i had i didn't want the freedom of being at home i mean i still will uh binge watch breaking bad or something like Naturally. that but you but you know it's still um the i don't know i, f- I feel like enough time spent in that place of having to do something else that I'm not passionate about for somebody like it just would kill me and mm-hmm. it, you know I, which is actually kind of funny when I was valet parking going back to that I think I might have been writing more lyrics then than I am now uh-huh. because while I was on the job people are walking up they thought I was like filling out like you know the the BMW has a dent in it mm-hmm. but I was actually like writing lyrics I know and, she um, has brown eyes yeah and I think like uh, there's something about there is something about um you know, the whole story of a guy that wrote, wrote his first novel as like a night clerk at a security thing. Yeah. And then he gets a publishing deal. And now that he has a publishing deal, he's like, I don't know how to write anymore. Yeah. I don't, because it was almost like the escape, you know? Yeah. So I think that you have to, um, learn how to like, uh, play and work and know when, when you're escaping and make it fun, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and maybe people that work on the road that have to write that song during the day are going home and they're like, I want to be the next Radiohead at night. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they, they, but, yeah, I don't know. It's like um, you have to be – I encourage everybody, I feel like, that I talk to them like, oh, you have this kind of job. Well, what do you really want to do? What's your dream? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, my real dream is to like open a restaurant. Well, then what are you doing now to get towards work opening a restaurant? Mm-hmm. You know, Or is this going to be one of these things that just kind of always – you know, you don't want to be the old person that didn't do what they wanted to do yeah. when they were younger. And, yeah, your death rattle is just regret. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think um, – so I don't know. I feel like I'm always encouraging people to like start their own businesses and stuff, yeah. you know. And um, 
because well, even if you can you can be in a job and in that and that like terrible routine but if you have this sort of long-term vision for what you're trying to achieve every day can feel like you're excited all of a sudden mm-hmm. and you're like i'm here at the job but people don't know my secret plan yeah you know? exactly and it's almost like like having uh hiding that light under a bushel but in the best kind of way there's an interesting thing though uh going back to what you said about people having that dream and they hold on to that dream <coughs> and they might not enact that dream the hard thing or not the hard thing but the insidious trap that you can fall under and this is something that I definitely deal with on a day-to-day basis and I'm currently just trying to struggle to get out of, is if I don't, if I know that I'm really good and I know that I've got something, I know that I've got a million-dollar idea and I sit there and it's like my little pet that's inside myself that I just give a stroke every now and then and I go like, oh, we're, oh, this the potential here, the potential here is amazing. If I do that, then it satiates me enough to kind of keep me on life support, Mm -hmm. to kind of keep me from, you know, getting on top of a building with a high-powered weapon and seeing how good a shot I am. (laughs) It it does that, but what it doesn't do is it doesn't enact, it doesn't doesn't force me into the actual uh, creation of it. The work of it, I have to skip, which is daunting in and of itself, and also the risk that I might not be as good as I think I am. Mm -hmm. All those things kind of combine together to kind of keep you from actually doing what you want to do, which is the absolute fulfillment, which isn't necessarily feel it doesn't feel great mm-hmm. i mean all the time it's it's feels wonderful to to have done it but it's hard and difficult and also um the fact that i'm not doing it uh the, the fact that i kept from doing it i'm still i still hold on to that potential right so i can just sit there in this homeostasis and be better than everybody else mm-hmm. and that's why i feel like uh, in a lot of culture that we have right now is that snarky kind of like going well nah, nah, nah. come out of a a $30 million movie that took, you know, thousands of man hours for everyone to do. And you come out and you're like, eh, I thought it was okay. Yeah. You know, I guess, you know, if I could be, I could do a little bit better. You know, <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny. I, I, I went to, um, I felt like I had an exercise in like two months. And mm-hmm. so two days ago I went to a hot yoga class here. In oh, yeah, Valley. Yeah. Power, hot core yoga, something like that. It was basically all <laughs> the words Max. combined. Yeah. And, um, and you know sometimes they're like going like she's coming over pushing on you and you're, and you're like uh, I mean just like getting all these like regular like fix your form fix your form and then she'll insert these little uh, inspirational comments you know mm-hmm. and this girl's like running around <clears throat> she has very odd um, choices in music too she's playing like um, you know uh, sexual healing and then like a depressing song <laughs> and then like a Prince song you know anyway but she um, but then all of a sudden she yells out like if you're in love with your potential, you'll never be happy with the moment or something like that, you know? And huh. I, I was like, what did she just say? I'm, mm-hmm. Like, as I'm upside down. But like, you know, <laughs> it was, there's something about that that really hit me and has sort of stuck with me the last few days. It's like you, because I, I think as a, I've always been a person that, like you said, has a little bit of this, like, I know this secret idea could be a million dollars, but it could be a million dollar idea, but, um, but I don't want to necessarily like, you're so afraid of, also, the fact that it may be a zero yeah. dollar idea that yeah. you just don't do anything and it's more uh, you would rather sort of like be grinning about this thing in your back pocket than actually put it out and it'd be a failure. Yeah. And there's something about that, like being in love with potential will always leave you disappointed in where you're at. And yeah. and there's something about like, <clears throat> I don't know, I think I've, I've uh, in the last few years sort of turned a corner into a place of being a finisher, a closer, a lot more than like a what if kind of person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think um, you're always a little bit like, well, what if we did this? That'd be cool. What if we did this? Write that down. Write that down. Mm-hmm. You know? And then they have like, I have like logs of what ifs on yeah. my computer and files of ideas. And, um, but I think um, deciding to like 
close it, write the treatment for this movie. You've never written a movie before. You know what? I'm going to write a treatment and just do it and let somebody read it and then move on to the next thing. It's Mm -hmm. like, do it, finish it, move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And then something, I think there's something a lot more healthy about that creative process than the one about like just holding on to this one thing that may be forever because you're, you don't want to let it go because then you've sort of, it's been the thing that's kind of kept your, you open it up to scrutiny. Yeah. Yeah. You've kept it in your like secret little compartment and you Mm -hmm. look at it at night and you smile Mm -hmm. and you close it back down, you know, like Gollum with the ring. Yeah. 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 But it it never does anything unless you just sort of like let it go and put it out there. And, uh, and you also never move on with your life. Absolutely. It just gets stuck in, in the creative tubes of your system and just, abscesses everything else yeah. how did you get to that point was there any definitive point that you had or any or did any self-thought or someone else coming along saying hey sage words blah yeah i don't know i think i mean it's a combination i mean some of it might as well i mean you know i'm very thankful for the living that i've been able to make doing music and like mm-hmm. but i've not necessarily broken above the radar in a sense of like top 40 radio kind of way or anything yeah. like that and i think i i do have a desire to um to um, create things like I think my ultimate desire is to create things that millions of people resonate with, you know. Yeah. And I don't think necessarily millions of people know who I am at this point, or have maybe after this podcast. Yeah, they probably will. In all likelihood, <laughs> but, I'll let I'll let you know so you can prep yourself, but, so you can hire more servers for your website. Yeah, but they, um, but there's something about like you know you create this one thing and you think it's something that millions will resonate with or could mm-hmm. resonate with. And then you just hold on to it because you you just want to see that happen. And then if it doesn't happen, do you quit or do you decide that you're like, you know what? Well, instead of waiting for million pe- millions of people to resonate with this thing, I'm going to just keep putting out things. And then just, you know, maybe if one of them catches on, that's cool. But I may, may also be like three projects down the line when this one's actually getting millions of people's attention, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I think I just sort of had to drop my... Um, you know, I'm not saying that my hopes of of becoming a, a platinum recording artist have died by any means, but I'm a lot more um, comfortable with the fact that I'll put out my music and and I'll do things where I'm sort of shooting for the platinum sort of level, but at the same time I'm putting out stuff that just makes me happy and that I think is well made, and that when whoever resonates with it is going to resonate with it, mm-hmm. and it's less. Um, and I, I like the game of shooting for the for the um, above the radar hits and I do want you know one that is definitely part of what drives me and I want to have something that's really successful but at the same time you know <clears throat> when it comes to just honing my craft and becoming closer to being an expert at what I do I think you have to just like do project after project and just do it do it well you know I think another thing I've tried to do for example is like when I write a song um, a lot of times I will uh like record it on my Pro Tools rig, but I'll make it my scratch recording, mm. thinking that I'm going to go back and redo it later as a thing. And a lot of yeah. those things I never finish later. Absolutely. Even on the process of like starting a song that I'm going to finish later or singing it into my phone real quick, unless it's like just a chorus and I'll go pick that chorus up within like three or four hours, I usually never go back to it. Like it goes it's away. pretty, yeah. And it's yeah. almost like, um, um, there's something about like when it happens, you got to like be ready, accept, uh, you know, accept the responsibility that this idea has come to you right now. Mm-hmm. Do it, do it well as much as you can squeeze the whole toothpaste until it comes out and yeah. then like give it what you got. And cause it's probably gonna be gone after that. So like commit to it. Like I heard this, um, um, it, it was maybe in that same Ted talk, honestly, she talks about like these old poets that would be just like, 
uh, would get, or maybe she's talking about Tom Waits actually. And yeah, Tom Waits has this part. thing, and she's like, he's he gets this idea for a song, and he's like, I'm in traffic. Can't you see I'm in traffic? Yeah. Go bother, go bother, uh, you know, David Bowie with that one or something <laughs> like that, you know. And um, but there's something about like, I don't know. It doesn't always come back mm-hmm. the way that it was when it first hits you. And I think that this fear of things not becoming the best unless you have the time to really put the time into it to make it the best. It's a little bit of an irrational thing, mm-hmm. and uh, you should just sort of like do the best you can right then, mm-hmm. and let it, and think of it as this is done. You know, that's another reason why, if I know, like instead of doing these rough scratch recordings, I try to keep my um, my songs like before I'm going to go into the studio, so I can remember them. I'll just sing it just into my phone, or do it in the way that just sounds the worst possible, so that when I get in the studio, the first time my brain is like has that freshness of recording it. Mm-hmm that I want to capture that in record quality way yeah. because I don't want to um, do like, I don't know. There's just like a commitment saying like, forget the fear right now. I'm going to do it as best as I can. We're going mm-hmm. to do it at record quality level and then we're going to move on. Yeah. And um, you know, if it's something needs to go back and be fixed or whatever it can, but I don't know. I just, I think that this, I've just grown really tired of having all these what ifs that have sort yeah. of um, fallen into the past. And yeah. it's like, you know what? I'm, I had a lot of missed opportunities to turn songs or to just finish great songs, but I didn't finish them because I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to do it well enough right now. Yeah. Just kind of fixing to begin to commence to start. We're thinking about it and we're like, uh, yeah, getting around. you're right. You're I right. think it's like, I don't know. I think, and maybe it's also like having time now where I've sort of parted, uh, pushed touring away for a little while mm-hmm. to where I've, um, that's given me more time to do that. I think yeah. it's just sort of like this, a lot of changes in life. Maybe it's the thing of being, um, you know, touring is like a 21 year old's game. Yeah. And when you're 30 or whatever you have, to, it's like, well, I don't want to go sleep on couches and yeah. in the middle of, uh, Utah, you're less in, yeah, you're less inclined you know? to go. Like, yeah. cause, cause the people that are always volunteering their couches always have two cats. I don't know <laughs> what the deal is, but this is something about cat owners and having house guests. They love it. They love yeah. it. And I'm allergic to cats. Well, see, kinda... You realize that cat cats keep people away. And so these people get lonely. So they want you on their couch. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No. I can't. You just yeah. lost your cat following. I really did. And you know what? I'm fine with it because I'm definitely right. allergic. I did a, uh, a little talk as kind of like a, um, I'm not necessarily a master clinic or something, but I went back to Belmont. They like to bring me back in sometimes because I graduated there mm-hmm. to talk to the students, like stay in school and you can have a career in music, <laughs> which is not necessarily true. But mm-hmm. um, but I, I was this guy was like, what's your advice? And I said, like, uh, he said, what would you give me as like an artist, like any advice you would give me? And I was like, pick something and be that thing and don't be afraid of the people that you're going to like lose, mm-hmm. you know? And I was like, if you want to make like a cat hating band, just be all about how much you hate cats yep. and, and don't worry about the dog people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cause if you're, uh, if you're, um, sort of, I like cats and I like dogs. People are like, why did I just waste my time listening yeah, exactly. to that? And, you know, mm-hmm. but either you hate it or you love it. I think there's a lot of strength in that. You know? Oh, po- the polarizing thing. Yeah. Hyper specificity, <laughs> finding your people, seeking mm-hmm. them out so they know who they are. Totally. Hey, one example comes to mind. The Antwerp. You ever see those guys? No, no. South African uh, rappers. I will play you a couple of their videos after this. All right. Yeah. They, they have their people. Now mm-hmm. they I don't know who those people are. Right, right. I think that those people might be in jail and I don't know how they can buy records, right. you know, from being incarcerated. But that being said, <laughs> that being said, they have their people. Um, no, I think that just jumping back real quick to the thing that we were talking about with uh, making the record quality, uh, first run of working mm-hmm. with Pro Tools. I think 
what struck me about you saying that is that it might just be a subconscious level of saying to yourself that it is good enough and that you are good enough and that you're good enough right now. Yeah, I'm, I trust your choices right now mm-hmm. for whatever this is going to be. Yeah, and you know we don't have to release everything that yeah. it gets put down, but. You sure as hell can't release something that you didn't give it your all for. Right. Well, it goes back to that yoga thing. You know, what she was talking about, I mean, and, well, you're talking about a lot of things, but like, you know, like your body right now may not be as flexible as you want it to be for that. And so mm-hmm. are you always going to be like uh, frustrated in your yoga practice until you get to that point? Because you mm-hmm. may just always be frustrated. Yeah. You know, or if, if you're like trying to lose 10 pounds and you're looking at yourself in the mirror at the yoga thing and you're sweaty and it just looks terrible. Mm-hmm. Like, are you always going to be like sad and like frustrated about that and just quit yoga or are you going to be able to enjoy like as good as you can give it that day yeah and i think you start seeing progress especially if you're doing it on a, on a daily basis and you're writing a lot or you're playing your instrument every day and like you try um you know where it maybe it used to take you like 20 overdubs to get the part right now yeah. you can sort of do it in one or two mm-hmm. and then just um and you see progress you know and then i think your your skills and your craft hones as you're um, as you let go of sort of the potential of what it could be and you just like, uh, enjoy what it is right now, yeah. you know? And, um, I don't know for me, that's also like not necessarily the best way to make money in <laughs> music. <laughs> I yeah. mean, but it is yeah. the best, it, I think it is a great way to become better and to be a lot more, uh, like creatively fulfilled person. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like in the past I've always felt a little bit like slightly, um, like my records I think have reflected a little bit more of like let's take a snapshot of where things are right now and mm-hmm. try to embrace it as opposed to being um polished and over tuned and over quantized and stuff yeah. to um in order to compete with I mean basically like you know um <clears throat> digitally turn this recording into something that is humanly impossible yeah. and then put that on the radio so that people will come out to your concerts and then they're all going to be like well I know this song it doesn't sound as good as the radio it mm-hmm. doesn't kind of sound as good as the CD whereas at my concerts I feel like I made a snapshot and then I got even better than what I did at the snapshot that yeah. people are always at the shows going like well the show is way more way better than the CD mm-hmm. which I don't know which is better I mean you want to yeah. be able to like a great CD and a great show mm-hmm. but you also want to earn it you know and you want to be the person that has spent put in the time to where um and honed your craft and sort of become an expert to where you can sit down in front of the mic and and it's just repeatable you know yeah. every time you sit down it's going to be that level of quality because you've gotten your um, skills up to that point. And, um, and then you, whether you're in front of a mic in the studio or you're rather in front of the mic in front of people, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be, you know, yeah. good. It's going to be the same thing. But Absolutely. anyway, I don't know. I think I just took that. I was no reverting back. No, skipping it's, around. it's perfect, man. It's perfect. Oh, um, Hey, look, it's the department of water and power checking the, uh, Hey, can we get yeah. him to speak? I think he's. We want to ask him about his career. Yeah. What I want to know what his what's in his head, what his secret thing is, why he's doing this, and he's walking in your backyard mm-hmm. with a random yellow shirt on that I'm sure he didn't choose. No, no, that's definitely that's no, definitely government issue, right there. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> well, dude, thank you for coming in, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Man. Um, did we reach our limit here? Have we? Oh, hit we, the time. We 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 have hit the time. We're at seventy minutes. Look Whoa, at that. Whoa, seventy supposed to be an hour. You're supposed to be an hour. Yeah, don't worry. I cut around stuff. Okay, make good. Sound a cut out outrageous. my burps. Cut out my yeah. uh, bad jokes. I will definitely cut out that weird white power thing you had somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> that was a little <laughs> off, man. I mean, talk about getting specific to your 
group. I mean, oh, it, I don't know what got into me there. <laughs> really, it was a, it was it, half of it was in German, so I'm going to have to get the yeah. Google Translate out. So. <clears throat> oh, sorry about that. I'll keep it more next time. We'll come back and do it again. <laughs> All right, dude. All thanks, right, man. Thanks. All right. Andy Davis, cool customer. Women want him. Men want to be him. Dogs obey him. Really dug getting to know that guy. Gonna have him out in L.A. more. I think we might be able to pull him from Nashville to L.A. to our avocado-infested den of sin. Yup. Might be able to do that. Go to sharkbrainpodcast.com to check out older episodes, to get all the different information you need on Jake Newton live music show dates. Maybe at some point we're going to put up some merch. Still thinking about that, still churning that around in my mind. Not just Jake Newton merch, which is available at jakenewton.com, but Sharkbrain merch. I'm open to any and all suggestions. We're right here at the ground floor, and you are here with me. I truly, truly appreciate you guys tuning in and checking it out and all the positive stuff that i've been hearing back from emails or comments on the website or on the facebook page i really really appreciate it all right well this week is halloween i want you to go out i want you to try if you possibly can to remember the reason for the season which was to avoid being taken away by an evil spirit in the night hey isn't it glad that the dark ages are over i sure am I'm enjoying all kinds of demystifying elements of science and nature coming together. All right. I'm rambling. I'm going to go watch Game of Thrones again. I love you guys. Love your friends. Seek the truth. And be well. The Peace Jack Fame!